Hi, good morning. It's Friday. I'm going to try to hop around and get this done. Because there's so many things on the plate here. Uh, sitting in my office now. As I mentioned yesterday, I had a lot of things to help me back this week. And I've still got a big part of the lecture to do for tomorrow night. So let's do this now rather than later in the day. Um, I just, as I mentioned yesterday, I want to uh, thank the uh, Pollocks, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Paul Pollock from Columbus and Baltimore, in both places, for sponsoring today's uh, talk on the Parsha. And let's jump right into it. I hope others will can sponsor as well. And we're looking at Parsha's Truma. And like I say, I want to put this to bed, send it out uh, before the day is long. I have to go pick up somebody in a little while. Uh, Truma, of course, is the building in Mishkan. The, the first thing that jumps into mind is like this. And I'm, I must have mentioned it last year. Anytime you've done the project in Mishkan, you run into the two different opinions. One is that the Mishkan is a, re, uh, a reaction, a bidiyavid. It's a reaction to the golden calf. In other words, the Jews screwed up. They made a golden calf. From there, you see that they're deficient in their ruchnias, and therefore you need a Mishkan to sort of help that out. That's one way of looking at it. In other words, when they were in Harsinai and they said Nasim and Ishma, they had a high madrega and they had crowns and then the Malchamavas was killed and all this kind of business, you know. And then, of course, they messed it up and they lost everything, their edyum, their spiritual jewels, and therefore now they're in bad shape. And uh, But they repent. That's Moshe going up 40, 40, 40, you know, the first 40 until they break the tablets, the second 40 to persuade God not to kill the Jews, and the third 40 culm- culminating on Yom Kippur when they get the second tablets. And so, after all that prayer and whatever, God sort of, I repeat, sort of forgives the Jewish people. He gives them a second tablet, which are not as fancy as the first, but at least we're moving on. And the next day, Moshe says, or Hashem tells Moshe, you know, go build a Mishkan, and the idea then would be, uh, meaning it didn't work on Har Sinai, let's try to do it this way through a building located literally in the middle of the population. Uh, okay, that's okay. That's one way of looking at it. In which case, as Rashi says at the beginning of this parsha, you know, in other words, the story goes like this: Yisro Mishpatim Kisisa, and then Truma Tzitzava Vayakav You know what I just said? Uh, you, you, the parsha Truma Tzitzava, the whole story of the Mishkan comes after the Golden Calf episode, after they go off. Um, either you understand, as I just described a second ago, which is that the Klal Yisrael now needs some uh, filler. Uh, which they didn't need before, and we call that a Mishkan. Alternative, another way of approaching that, by the way, is in the Medrash Rabbah, which says, it's Klapi Degayim. In other words, uh, the Jews betrayed their uh, relation with God so egregiously, as I think they used the expression, Kekalaha Mazanatach Zachopah, something like that. Uh, in other words, they're seeing Harsinai, and in the wake of Harsinai, with the Mun coming down and all the rest of it, you still made a golden calf? Uh, there's even a passage like that in Tehillim, if I remember correctly, in uh, 78, maybe? That's the one with the whole history of the Jewish people. There's another one in the early 100s. I think 78, Ayin Ches, it goes the whole sacred history. Or no, 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 I think it's in, in the book of Nehemiah, maybe. It's one of those places where they give, that even though they made a golden calf, you continued to send them the mon. Maybe it's in the end of Nehemiah. Uh, you continue to send the mon and, and the be'er and all that. Uh, so in other words, it's an egregious sin. According to this Chazal, it's in the parsha. Uh, did it last night at my sunset with the with the parsha class. I mean, with the medrash class that we do on Thursday nights. Uh, that uh, Moshe or Hashem said like this: After this betrayal, the Goyim will never believe 
that God would ever forgive them for such an egregious sin, because it is an unforgivable sin. Af al Cain, he forgave them. Meaning, there's just such a mystical metzius of Kla Yisrael that it's not possible to unforgive them, shall we say. You know, in other words, it has to be that no matter what they did, even the worst sin, but the divine grace rests on the tzibur as a tzibur, and, uh, and he forgave them. But the nations of the world, this is what it says in the Medrash, well, you're not going to convince them. They'll say once somebody did such an act of betrayal, it is impossible for this thing to be forgiven. It went too far, a bridge too far. And that is true. But therefore, if the Jews say, no, no, Hashem uh, forgave us, and we're back to where we started, more or less, the guy will say, oh, yeah, baloney. Uh, therefore, in order to demonstrate to the nations of the world that God actually forgave them, he said, okay, let's make a Mishkan B'Shachanti B'Socham. And so any guy will come by, they'll say, you think God has abandoned us? Broke off with us, Golden Kev. Come look, here's the, here's the Mishkan. And look, there's the Shechina. You can feel the presence of the Shechina or whatever. You can discern it. And the guy was then supposed to say, I guess, wowee, I can't believe it. That God, after all the terrible sin that the Jews did him, he was willing to forgive them. It's unbelievable. And being a guy, he wouldn't understand the Messiah's of Kali Yisrael, but he'll have to walk away shaking his head and say, well, listen, I did see it, and it's amazing. And that will be a very, that's a very nationalistic uh, kind of art, you know. It's a, a religious nationalistic kind of art that, uh, you know, the Am Yisrael, Klal Yisrael as a Matthias, uh, you know, has to, uh, cannot, can never be severed from its attachment to God, regardless of whether they do uh, right or wrong. Uh, this is a sublime mystical notion. Mysticism means it makes no sense, but it's true anyway. That's the definition of mysticism. And so there, there's a piece of it. So even though the Jews, to use simple language, even though the Jews did Eglazov, but the Mishkan represents the fact that there was Shachanti Besocham, the Shechin is there anyway, right? Besoch Tumosam, you know, all that stuff. Uh, that's one way of understanding the story of the Mishkan. And if you follow that, then the story takes place out of order. That really, as I say before, you should do, after Mishpatim, should do Kisisa, because then that's the story of Eglazov. Subsequent to that, as a demonstration that he forgave him, which is the story by the end of Kisisa, you do Truma Tetzalba by Yaakov Akuda. You build the Mishkan, and you set it up and all that business. That's one way of reading it. And that's, uh, I think most of us learned it that way when we were young, because you, in, in class you learn Chomash Others, like the Ramban, disagree. Uh, I think they're offended by the notion that the Gantz business of the Mishkan is a B'dayevid. This is what I think. In other words, so much in the Chumash, somebody mentioned last night, if it was Yitzhi Freeman, somebody said, you know, so many parshas in the Chumash, are about the details of the Mishkan, and the Karbanas, and the Gantz of Ayikra. All that is just like afterthought of the because you're telling me that they wouldn't even need a Mishkan if they hadn't made Eglaz up, and from the Nasa Manishma, there would have been just enough. Uh, so that's, uh, that offends a certain sensibility, and therefore the Ramban, and others, say, no, 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 no. The Mishkan was, is not a B'dayev, it's a Hachila. It's all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. The only thing goes like this. This is how the Ramban lays it out. You look at the first Ramban in Pasha Bayakal. That's where you see it. The way it works is like this. Um, you're holding in Yisrael Mishpatim. Come Shavuos and God pronounces the Ten Commandments. The next 40 days and 40 nights, Moshe is up in the mountain getting the whole Torah. During those 40 days and 40 nights, one of the things God tells him is, we also that the part of the plan is to have a Mishkan. You understand? When you go down, 
and meet the Jewish people and present them with the, with the two tablets, it'll be amazing, uh, assuming that they're not making a golden calf. It, it, it comes down with the two tablets, and Haluchas Maisi Elohim Hema, notice they're, they're, they're amazing tablets, you know, they're, they're like a, 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 what shall I say, a phenomenon that bridges the, the, the gap between uh, physics and metaphysics, because they're metaphysical, but they're physical. When the Jews see this, they're on a high madrega. Okay, now guys, we'll make a Mishkan. It's a sublime idea. And the Mishkan was then unbelievable. Ruchnias, blah, blah, blah. So, um, the only thing is, so Moshe, when he comes down the mountain, is planning to share with them uh, that I'm giving you the tablets, and now we're going to take it even to the next level, beyond the tablets, the two, the two luchos, and we're going to make a Mishkan, which is unbelievably Kedusha to Gazach, and so forth and so on. The only problem is, when he comes down, the whole plan goes awry. This is how Ramban explains it. Uh, he sees they made a golden calf, he, he shatters the tablets, right? The luchos are busted. And then, Moshe has to forget any idea of sublime, sublime, because he has to spend the next 80 days, I repeat, 40 and 40, uh, trying to undo, to the degree possible, the divine anger as a result of the betrayal of the golden calf. So, forget anything about a mishkod. He's just worried about, don't kill Kal Yisrael. And all that business, you know. That's what he's busy with the next 80 days. So, and he's working very hard. I think in, in Dvarim he says, I, you know, I, I, I davened away. Uh, in fact, I have no idea. Had a, uh, let's put it this way. When he was 40 days and 40 nights in Harsina, I said, it's a superhuman existence. So he wasn't eating or drinking. It says, Lechem that's, a, that's a miracle. What did he do the next 80 days? If he's davening the way he says it, day and night, night and day, when did he eat? You know, so I guess, I, I don't know the answer to that question, obviously. But maybe, you know, in between uh, six hours of davening, and you know, he had a sandwich or something like that, a pita. But whatever the case is, he's busy on that. Wait a minute. Then, after the 80 days over, comes Yom Kippur. By the time you get Yom Kippur, you have the second tablets. That God says, I'll give you a second chance. Not like the first time, they won't be miraculous divine tablets. Instead, you carve out regular stone, and then I, God, will write on them. So that's the Madrega too. It's not like the first tablets or the second, but it's like second tablets. And as we all know, he comes down on Yom Kippur and gives him the second luchos. Fine. Now that, the Ramban says, now that he's done that, then he's like, it's okay, guys. And, and incidentally, by this time, Moshe's face is shining. That's what it says. Meaning, you read this like it's the end of, uh, of Kisisa, I guess. And uh, Moshe's face is shining. And uh, and then Moshe gathers everybody together. And basically, it's this is the scene of the giving of the second tablets. You know it doesn't describe in the Chumash, I don't think, I don't think, just sitting here, the scene where Moshe comes down the second time. The first time it says in Pasha Kisisa, Moshe came down, and he brought the luchas, but then he smashed them. Doesn't say what happened the second time, right? The, but if you read it the Ramban's way, so when he comes down the second time, he, uh, he brings the tablets, his face is shining, and he tells everybody, gather around me, guys. Vayakil Moshe is called Das Israel, And he said, we're going to go and uh, make a Mishkan. 
And that's where you stick in Truma Tetzava Vayaka Pekude. So it's a little funny in the order, but the essential argument is that the parts are not out of order. So in other words, what I mean by that is, when you, according to Ramban, when you read today's parsha, that God says to Moshe, "Vehikli truma meis kolisha sheyivan alibo zavachetz nechoshes etc." Avosli migdushav chanti b'sulcham. That is a conversation taking place between God and Moses up on the mountain during the first forty days and forty nights. On the other hand, if you read it like Rashi, that is a conversation taking place between God and Moses after the forty forty days and forty nights are over, and he's come down. And uh, you know, and and and, and he's uh, had the golden calf and broken the tablets, and then prayed all the way till Yom Kippur, and then subsequent to that Yom Kippur, um, subsequent to that Yom Kippur, God has the conversation. Okay, let's make a a a, a mishkan. So there's two different ways of reading the parshas. In one way, you have the advantage that it's like an order. It's a terumatitzave vayakapakude, meaning that the the um, conversation. What was that work either? No, no that's Rashi. So if you Truma Tetzava Yaakov Kudai, no, it's, it should really be um, Kisisa and then Truma Tetzava Yaakov Kudai. If you go to Ramban, the conversation took place during the original 40 days and 40 nights. And just Moshe now is sharing that with the Jewish people in, in Bayakel. That's how it works out. That's it. Let me put it this way. It just go, goes to show you how it's possible to arrange these parshas in different levels of meaning uh, and with a different chronology, and bring out different points. Now, the problem always you have when it comes to the Mishkan or the base of Mikdash, all the rest of it is, what's the point? Why do you need a base of Mikdash? If you tell me the utilitarian argument that I said before, which is to demonstrate to the Goyim that God has not severed his connection with Klai Yisrael, that's a very nice utilitarian shot. It's nothing particularly sublime necessarily, and um, uh, you don't see it mentioned explicitly in the text. When um, they build a Mishkan, later on, Shlomo Milchbez Beis Migdush, which is the Haftorah today, right? Today the Haftorah is about Shlomo building the Beis Migdush. So you find uh, some very interesting things over here. And you find uh, warnings that the Temple or the Mishkan is no replacement for a genuine faith and religiosity. It's kind of interesting. Uh, no phenomenon, no matter how divinely mandated, is in of itself a sure medicine. Uh, you, there's no tool or um, or thought or anything that cannot be misused or abused. That's just kind of interesting to me. There's no thing that cannot be misused or abused. And uh, you don't find that much with the Mishkan because it's under strict control of Moshe and Aaron. No, I'm wrong. You do find the Mishkan by Eli in the beginning of uh, Shmulal. Remember? Chafne and Pinchas, they, they abused the Mishkan, do they not? I mean, that's why they're told they'll, be, they'll perish, because they were sleeping with the women, whatever they were doing over there, you know, stealing or something like that. It's, um, they did it, they didn't do it, you know, it's a debate in Chazal, but uh, they're misusing the Mishkan. So uh, it's possible for that to happen. And, and not longer after this misuse of the Mishkan at the hands of Chafi and Pinchas, the Mishkan is destroyed by the Philistines in the Battle of Uffik, that's in the Shmuel Aleph. The Ark survives and has a whole bunch of adventures, because uh, the Philistines capture the Ark, but then God sits them with a coronavirus, and then they let they let it go, you know. But uh, the art, the, the the Mishkan itself, is gone. That's what they say in Zvachim. And um, what's also interesting, if you read very closely in Divriyam Aleph, nobody ever looks over there. Uh, with the destruction of the Mishkan, Shmuel Hanavi 
the Prophet Samuel begins what we would call today a fundraising campaign for for another Mishkan or a base of Migdash. If you just, I'm not going to bother to go through all the sources, but if you look in the second half of Dibri Amalf, you'll see that when David collects money for the Binyan base of Migdash, he has money uh, that was already raised by Shmuel and by Shaul and by Avner. It's just interesting, you know what I mean? Before he became king. So then the big project is make a base of Migdash. But you saw the Mishkan in and of itself can be abused. And what's really remarkable is, if you look in today's after, I actually mentioned this at the funeral the other day, because this always stri- strikes me. What do you see in today's Haftorah, on Parsha Tumah? You know, yeah, Shlomo builds a fancy disc and gold and silver, and it's a trillion dollar project, no question about it. You know, Shlomo had an unlimited checkbook, and he used it, and, you know, right, wrong, you know, and he had forced labor, which was very unpopular, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, and it's a fancy schmancy operation, no question about it. Uh, but, God appears to Shlomo and says, This house you're building is very nice, but only if, If you stay from, Then, then I'll keep my promise and keep you and your family on the throne. Meaning, it's not a, it's not a substitute for being from. You understand? Uh, it's not a substitute for being from. And there's always the danger of the edifice complex, in which you say, I'm carrying out all my sacrificial duties, and I'm adhering to all the minutia of the temple ritual. Uh, so if I lie, cheat, and steal, or something like that, you know, uh, or commit gila it's okay, because I've handled the, the basic part. And that's a, a, that's a great danger. How do you know it's a danger? David, if you look, and I'm just thinking, it comes to me right now, in the 51st Psalm, when he's trying to uh, confess and atone for the sin of Bathsheba, uh, the sin of Bathsheba, so he says, you know, um, what's the expression over there? Olo lo sirtza, kilo zevach, olo tirza. I know I can't buy you off for the sin I committed with Bathsheba just by bringing a carbon, uh, because uh, that'll be a misuse of the carbon. Zivchi elhim ruch uh, the only real sacrifice, the only real carbon God wants is tshuva, right? The only pr- sacrifice the Lord desires is a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, meaning repentance. So, it's, so basically, it's all about it's a it's a logical, not a mystical approach. You're saying that it's all you know. It's only good if, if it inspires um, the right way of thinking. If it inspires tshuva, inspires uh, you know a good conduct. But if it doesn't, right, you know, if, if your kids are not Taylor B'chukosai and they're not Mishpataitasa, then forget it. And what's really interesting is if you happen to read Malacham Aleph, it's, it's, it's written in a very interesting way. Shlomo builds a trillion dollar project. He has a super fancy schmancy party, which goes over the top. You know, I mean, it's not as fancy as some of those kiddish regions in Florida I've been in, but nevertheless, it's pretty fancy. And he holds the whole Claudius Rolls there. And it, 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 they're on such a high that they even eat on Yom Kippur, and uh, you know, with uh, permission, and uh, you know, everything's uh, super, super fancy, and everybody's in a good mood. And then, and he has a prayer, and uh, so on and so forth. Then you go to chapter nine, where it says, "When Shlomo finished building the house of the Lord, the royal palace, the Lord appeared to Shlomo a second time, as he appeared to him earlier, Gimon, because that's when he first appeared to Shlomo Gimon and said." You know, that uh, game show thing. Do you want uh, a power, uh, money, uh, wisdom? 
and he picked wisdom. He said, oh, you got wisdom, you get all three. So, uh, to be fair, Shlomo didn't ask for wisdom. He asked for a lave maven. No, he said, give, endow me with the wisdom to be a, a good judge of law cases, which was the right thing to ask for. Now, let me be a fair judge. And uh, because I'm going to be a king, I'm going to be a judge in the Klai Yisrael. I want to get it right. Uh, that turned out to be the, the proper thing to ask for. And you see that later on with the two zonas, the two prostitutes. They said, chop the baby in half. That's an example of the fact that he got the wisdom. But over here, he builds a temple, like I say, with a trillion-dollar project. And then, I'm reading in English, God said, I've heard the prayer and supplication you offered to me, and so forth. As for you, if you walk before me as your father did, and keep all the mitzvahs and this sort of thing, then I'll establish a kingdom forever. So in other words, that's fine. Uh, so, uh, But no reference to the, to the base of English. But if you and your descendants turn away and go off to Derech, as we say today, then I will sweep Israel off the land that I gave him. I'll reject the house which is consecrated in my name, meaning I will reject this base of English you spent spend a fortune on. Understand? Let me see how it is written in Hebrew. It says... Um, he says, okay, I like that. But if you... If you keep all the mitzvahs, no problem, okay? Then I'll take care of you. Uh, but... But if you get off the derech, if you worship other gods, Hichratis he throw me out Adama, I'll do chorus on the Jewish people over there in this land. Uh Lishmi and this fancy schmancy base of Migdush, Ashalach Mial Panay. I'll get rid of it. Meaning I'll destroy the temple. And the Jewish people will be a byword. You know, they'll say, Oh, you mean Corbin like happened to the Jewish people? And this house, which you just built me, right? So uh, they'll be shocked. The guy will say, "Call over Yisham Bishart." They'll all whistle and say, "Almo Hashem They'll say, "This fancy temple, which cost so much money, was so splendid. How could God wipe it out?" And the answer will be, "Asher Ozvus Hashem, Asher Simi Avisrayim by Yachzik Belhim Acherim." Right? Al Kain Havi Aleimus Kol Razos. So uh, it's a cautionary tale. After you spend and build all the money, it's no good unless. You know, it inspires a uh, conduct. And that's wonder and to my mind, all these um, explanations that I just mentioned are contained in that enigmatic phrase that you find in today's parsha, because it's a funny Hebrew. Uh, if he means I will dwell among the Jews, I mean what does that mean? First of all, I don't know what it means the Shekhinah will be there, because none of us understand precisely what the idea of the Shekhinah is. And there are debates about that in the Rishonim and all that sort of thing. I mean, they really are. And, uh, you know, the philosophical Maimonidean approach is that the Shekhinah is not God. Shekhinah is something created by God to make man feel a presence. So it's a, it's a trick and a shtick. It's sublime, but it's a trick and a shtick. It's not Hashem, but it's something that makes you feel the presence of Hashem. Even though it's an oxymoron, because God has no presence, because he's not spatial, Right? You understand that? Excuse me. And um, but nevertheless, it's something. The Ramban and others say, no, 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 that's Hashem. And that's God. Uh, in which case, you're talking about, like I say, a mystical reality. God's not part of time and space. But in spite of that, don't tell me what's logical or not logical. The Shekhinah will be there.
you know, it's like a defiance of the laws of metaphysics. You hear what I said? Not the defiance of the laws of physics, that too, but it's also defiance of the laws of metaphysics. So, uh, you know, that what I want to say is that I will dwell in the midst of the Jewish people. But it says, Now, in Hebrew can mean the same thing as it's possible. I'll dwell in Yisrael. I mean, you know, that does work. But Shachanti B'Silcham also has the, what shall I say, double entendre, meaning in their midst, meaning in, 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 in the heart of each and every person. B'Silcham, I will dwell in their hearts. Which is like a nice little vart for a, a sermon, you know, a Hasidic. And all that sort of thing. Well, I have no problem with that. But the Dublon Tundra kind of reflects in my mind everything I've been talking about now. Is it a Besocham in the sense of the seaboards? And it's like a Klaisal Vart. That would lend itself to the interpretations that we mentioned before. That's to show the attachment of God to the to the Klaisal as a mystical entity and to show the guy that God's still there. On the other hand, if you follow the speeches that God just made to Shlomo and all the others, it's almost like a threat. And I'll dwell inside their hearts, meaning they'll, they, they'll stay on the derech, with the implication that if not, then they won't. Then the Shechina will depart from them, and that will be manifested by the destruction of the physical building. So, uh, as you see, the question of time and chronology... And the, and the fundamental question of what's the point of a, of a building uh, is just an existential issue that, that presents itself every year that you come, you come across it. Uh, and I leave you just with a philosophical problem. You know, what do you need a base of English for? Because I always say, do you believe the Vilna going went to heaven? I do. Do you believe the Ramah and the Rambam and all those people, the Rajba went to heaven? I do. They didn't have a base of English. They didn't have a building. Now, what they had was Bishan Khan to Bishan That they had. But they didn't have a building. And so, it's a base image ends up as a chachila, a b'diyevid, a reaction, a part of original plan that was that was deferred. This is something I leave you to discuss this Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos.